0: Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm Orion Williams. I talk on this side of the table. With me is Peter Willis. He's on the other side of the table. He talks in a different microphone. Uh-huh. <laughs> see? Well, you don't know. You didn't see that. You just have to trust. That's a different mic. We're on episode 17, right? 17. 17. Yeah. Romans 17. No. 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 Um, Episode 17, though, at least that, I wanted to tell you how you could get a hold of us if you want to tell me, I don't really like the Roman 17 joke. You can do that at podcast at morethanhearers.com. Or if you're like, you know, godness is not really a word that needed to be brought back, let it be an old English thing. You know, you can hit us up at facebook.com slash morethanhearers. And if you want to tell me, like, individually on Twitter, hey, I really like that song, uh, the Destroyed by Bow and Arrow soundtrack. You can hit me up at at Orion Plays Music, And if you want to tell Peter, I loved your contribution to uh, Why is Kevin Smith in Lego Batman 3? <laughs> he is oh, no. at MTH underscore Peter. And Peter, we're going to be talking about uh, something near and dear, personal, our hearts um, no, we're not. We're talking. Uh, we're gonna get back into a book of the Bible, right? We
1: are. So uh, all this buildup. The end of episode fifteen, we're like, we're gonna go into a new book of the Bible, but I'm not telling you what. And then episode sixteen, you were like, oh, I'm gonna find out. Yeah. And instead, we just talked about ourselves. Drama. Building. Uh. And so we're in episode seventeen. If you've got a Bible uh, made of paper, um, grab that. If you're using a digital device, a cell phone, a tablet, a whatever. If you're using parchment scrolls. Uh, You should probably go grab uh, the one that's Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, We are in the book of Ephesians. That's where we, uh, Orion and I both, um, in other studies, had come across some verses in Ephesians. We were mind blown and we thought, gosh, what a great place to go next after Romans.
0: We both came to that independently of each other too. Yeah. That was really neat.
1: I think I came to you and went, "Uh, we should do Ephesians next. And you were like, Oh my gosh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, super excited. I want to give you a little background of the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to jump right into Ephesians chapter 1. So, get your Bible, get your smartphone, get your iPad, your Microsoft Surface. Maybe you're holding on to an old HP touchpad. I got one under my bed gathering dust. (sighs) I don't even think it works anymore. I think they shut the servers off. But uh, your Kindle Fire, whatever it is you're using, your Kindle Paperwhite, get to the book of Ephesians. And I want to give you some background. I learned so much in my prep for this in studying Ephesus as a place, first of all, because I wanted that context for the book. And then the history of the letter. And do you know what? The first thing I ran into is I studied Ephesus first. I dug in. Now, to be fair, I kind of had other motivation. Elsewhere, um, in person, I'm teaching a study through the book of Acts. And uh, just a few weeks back, covered the section in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 19, it might be 18, um, where Paul is in Ephesus. There's a riot in Ephesus. It's one of my favorite passages or accounts or stories in the Bible, is this riot in Ephesus. So I wanted to know as much as I could about Ephesus. So I studied that first. I dug in. I know far too much about the ancient city of Ephesus at this point. But then I started to dig into the historicity, that's a word, look it up, of the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And the first thing I learned is Paul didn't probably write it to the church in Ephesus. All right, now that you've gone, my Bible's a lie and I'm done following Jesus. Uh, If you're still here with us, you're still following along, all three of you, um, or how many of you there are. Here's the thing. There are so many debates about the authorship, the time period, and the audience of this book. So let's cover them really quickly, but we don't want to dwell on them because it doesn't change the fact that it's scripture. But some people are really into this stuff, myself included. Me too. Someone to give it to you. And, oh, Ryan, you too. Give so, it to me. Um, here's the thing. Uh, it's believed that Paul wrote most of this, or we know that Paul didn't actually write his stuff down. He dictated it. But that this was a letter Paul probably wrote, if anything, to the church in Laodicea, which is also referenced in the letters to the seven churches in uh, the book of Revelation. Um, Or even possibly more likely, he wrote it to the churches. Um, some people have, they've come across some older manuscripts that said, uh, Paul to the church in, and literally a blank space was written so that it could be filled in as it was given to other churches. There are others who think Paul wrote or dictated most of it and that it was compiled, put together, and then a few gaps filled in much later, like 90 to hundred AD, um, And there is a fair debate about whether Paul's the author of any of it at all. Because there's some, in the Greek apparently, and I don't read Greek, I don't understand it, there's some stylistic differences from some of the other stuff that Paul did. The argument in support of Paul says, uh, we have enough documents that have Paul's name on them, older documents, that it works. The stylistic difference in how it was written could very well have had something to do with who took the dictation the and wrote it down? Because the scribe, I couldn't think of the word. Um, and so there's a lot of, and most of the dismissal of Paul as the author is more modern history, historical theol or historical theology. It's not theology. Historical biblical scholarship says it was Paul. It's just been a modern debate. Um, the debate about who it was written to is wide and varied. One of the things Paul, uh, or that we don't see in the book of Ephesians as much as other books, is like when you read Corinthians. Paul goes, uh, When I was with you, or Remember that I taught you this, or Remember when I was in this person's household, this. That really doesn't happen a whole lot, if at all, in Ephesians.
0: But it does start with. To God's holy people in Ephesus, did, did they find like the, the scroll unfolded and there's like white out in there and like it was like a different name written in?
1: That's thought to maybe have been added later or filled in um, by one of the documents that it, it may have also been written to Ephesus or taken to Ephesus at some point, but maybe wasn't originally intended for Ephesus.
0: I need to see the receipts.
1: I don't have them. Oh, okay. I, and it, they'd be in Greek. Uh, it's all Greek to me. Ah, uh-huh. well done, sir. <laughs> all right. So, all of that being said, again, um, if you go, well, that dismisses the whole thing. You're you're on the wrong track, and you're looking for reasons to dismiss. Um, there's much harder stuff to wrestle with in the Book of Ephesians, but you know, uh, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't negate the truth of what's said here because the truth of what's said here is backed up by the rest of Scripture. There's not something we're going to run into here where we go, that doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. That being said, wait till we get to verse 4. All right, so (laughs) verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. A little bit of irony there, you'll understand in a minute. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. If you're in an NIV... You'll see in verse 1, next to Ephesus, there's a little footnote that says, some early manuscripts do not have Ephesus. It's okay. Verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he uh predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I want to pause there because there's a lot of words here. And some of these words are, I hate this phrase, but it's the right phrase. Some of these words are trigger words for some of you. You go, oh, wait, up oh, there it is. It's in the Bible, predestination. We got it. But you know what's funny is I have been struggling with this prep because this word predestined appears a couple of times in Ephesians chapter 1. And even in reading this right now, I saw something I hadn't seen before in my prep. And I want to take you guys back to Romans 8, maybe 9. 8. It's Romans 8. It starts in 8, I think. Episode 8, uh, where... Um, Paul says, for those he foreknew, he also also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Mm -hmm. And it's almost the same thing here. For he chose us in him, meaning in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This almost says the same thing, but kind of weird, weirdly, differently worded, of those he knew ahead of time, back to Romans 8, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. So for he chose us in him. It didn't it doesn't say he chose us to be in him.
0: Right. No. It shows those of us in who, who him. Who are in him. Yes. Yes. Uh,
1: that, that's how I read it. Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And so I I like I, I get that. It, it it makes more sense when you look at it that way of back to Romans 8 of to be conformed into the likeness of his son. His son was and is holy and blameless in his sight. If he weren't, his sacrifice for sin was
0: pointless. So the, the struggle here, like that, because you... I think some people might be listening and going, why are they always like beating on this predestination or not predestination drum? And what is all, you know, what's all that about? And it's because there's theologies that you and I, Peter, we know of these theologies. And so just to shed a little bit of light on if a listener is going, what's that about? There are theologies that say God actively chooses people to be saved, to be with him in all eternity in love. And then he selects everybody else. Chooses actively, as in makes them to be unsaved, tormented, destroyed, whatever that theology goes from there. But, but the point that he actively decides the fate of people from before they have a chance to choose anything.
1: So, like, God's up in heaven going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yeah. My mom said to pick the best one, and you You're are not, not it. it. Right. Yeah.
0: I don't like this theology right uh, and and we can't, we can't like it because okay. we see we, we get our theology from the bible okay and and that's not to say that a theology that disagrees with me is not from the bible but we know from the bible that god wills that none would perish so how can he pick people to perish he can't he will, his will is that none would perish so we know from i mean even that one verse there's another one what we we talked about uh, the other one that uh, um, it's about the drawing. If you if if
1: you lift if we lift him up, he will draw all men unto himself. Yeah, it says all men. Yeah,
0: you know he he I believe he's drawing everyone. Absolutely. So, you know there, there are but there's a theology that, that that's out there, and so trigger verses. You know that's the thing, right? Yeah. When we see that trigger verse, we go, uh, well, if anyone has you know taken the idea that this means this, here's why we don't think it means that. After all,
1: if that yeah, helps at all. And, and I'm so glad you clarified it because you may be listening and going, yeah, why, why do these guys make such a big deal about this all the time? It's because some people do, and we don't want to pretend like they don't. And if you're listening and you've struggled on both ends of this, you see the value to both ends and both ends have some value for sure. Um, and, and are based on certain scriptures you go, well, I'm not sure where I sit and what do these guys have to say? Well, this is what we have to say. Um, I, I struggle with what's if God just chooses arbitrarily or or even has a method to his choosing of who comes to Jesus or not why have Jesus mm. why have a sacrifice if it isn't available to everyone no oh, if he's just picking at uh, his whim the, the the base verse of Christianity if you've ever watched an NFL game is John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who Soever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I memorized it in the King James and, a long time and ago. And seventeen, yeah. Uh, God did not send His world, Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Equally
0: important, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, that, that's my second favorite verse. It's the verse. other half, right? It's <laughs> it completes it. it, and and the whosoever and the world. The Bible is full of these references that God is seeking after all men from the foundation of the earth. He's been seeking after
0: all men. That's why it's called the good news. Am Mm -hmm. I right? Yeah. It's not like, hey, some of you, some of you, great news. The rest (laughs) of you. As you were. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry about it. And if you're listening and you're like, well, I've been
1: totally into this God thing. I'm not sure if he chose me. Uh, He chose you. He chooses you. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's a, he, he He thinks you're amazing. Uh, all of you. Choose back. I can... <laughs> uh-huh. There you go. Okay. So let's move forward because verse 5 um, is mid-sentence. So, um, but I want to get this phrase because it's so important. So let me go back to 4 so I can complete the sentence. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. This phrase, adoption to sonship, in the Greek, and I told you I didn't speak Greek. I don't. I don't read it, but I did some research. Um, This phrase is an actual legal Roman term whereby this type of adoption, someone is brought into a family and becomes an heir. As an example, let's go back to Roman times. Caesar. Let's say Caesar... Bumps into Ancient Orion on the street and goes, Ancient Orion, I'm going to adopt you. What? That sounds neat. I get to live in the palace and eat grapes and toga parties and everything mm. else. Those Little Caesars pizzas and everything. Mm. No, that's probably not true. No. <laughs> it's At probably, least the breadsticks? Uh, probably probably <laughs> the breadsticks. The <laughs> dipping sauce for sure. And by that adoption, when I die, Orion, Ancient Orion, you become Caesar. This is... Amazing. It's it gives you the full title and right as an heir. In Romans, we talked about this uh, heirdom. We decided that was a word, I think. I believe so. H e i r d o m, not a i r d o m. <laughs> heirdom. This this status of being an heir. It gives you one hundred percent full access to all the rights and privileges of being part of the family. That's this adoption to sonship. It's so cool because. It gives us all of the rights to the kingdom, all of the access, all of the privileges, and everything that come with it. Part of what
0: comes with that is eternal life. However, cool that sounds to you, you don't understand how cool it
1: is. Yeah. And not Your reaction say, is not appropriate.
0: Not to say that we we understand no. it and you don't. No, my reaction is not appropriate. Yeah, I don't understand it. I, it, it, understand it's, it's, I mean, it's I understand mind-blowingly it It's blowingly awesome. And I, yeah, we don't, have, we don't have the appropriate response to that level of good news. Our and, joy does not match it.
1: And he predestined us for adoption to sonship, back to verse 5, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, the one he loves being Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all the wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. I want to pause there even though it's mid verse 10 because there's so much here Back to the beginning of verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So this redemption, this idea of being bought back, something of value being purchased back, redemption. Uh, If you live in a state that gives you money back for your cans, in California we call that California redemption value. So when we buy a 12-pack of soda here, right? It's soda, by the way, just in case you were wondering what the truth of the Bible is. It's soda. I've heard it called pop. Uh, and you've heard wrong. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh Some people just say Coke for everything. This is acceptable. Pop. And I'm, I'm not making any friends. It's soda. Okay. Anyway, but in California, you buy a 12 pack of soda. It costs you whatever it costs you. I don't even know how much 12 pack of soda is anymore. Um, but then they charge you this other thing, this California redemption value. It's five cents a can on a 12 pack. You pay 60 cents on top of the cost of the soda and, and California sales tax as well. But you take these cans back to a redemption center and you redeem them for the five cents you paid. It's the same thing of we have value to God and he redeemed us. And the price of what he redeemed us for, I lost my place, is Jesus' blood. In him, we have redemption through his blood which is the forgiveness of sins because the thing that has made us worthless or that requires redemption requires purchasing back is we've sinned and it's put us away from God and God purchased us back through the blood of Jesus I, in the forgiveness of sins I
0: have to I have to I'm stupid about this stuff go ahead the when when we um, when we pay originally for the price of the soda yeah we give that that money's it, we're given that there's like a deposit made and whatever but right. the, the the plan is that you want you go to get it back right and so i, I just to, to carry that analogy to a stupid place about soda and redemption of nickels is that the plan was always to get us back
1: yeah absolutely From the foundation, you go back to Genesis three, which is the fall of man. Um, From there, God started this plan of redemption. It's so cool. It's it's cool. And you go, well, no, it kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. Somebody pointed this out to me really recently. Like Adam and Eve fell. They made some clothes out of fig leaves, really terrible clothes, and God was like, "Ah, those look dumb. Uh, Get out of my garden." And then it says, but God fashioned clothes for them from animal skins. Mm -hmm. So even though he booted them, he covered them. Fur coats. Fur coats. Leather. Leather. Pants. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to think about that. I'm wearing leather pants. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Okay. So, um, so that redemption and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And I love this. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Do you guys see that you read the Old Testament and you're like this angry, vicious God who, where is he in the New Testament? He was setting up All of this, and he's made it known to us. To these guys in the Old Testament who were struggling with this wrath of God, there was a mystery to what God was doing. Why, God, am I in the middle of this desert? Why am I eating this manna and this quail? Why would you make us walk out here for 40 years? Why would you ever send us to, to Egypt in the first place? Why, God, do you want to save Nineveh? Why, why, why? This mystery of the will of God that he now has made known to us, that he was setting up how desperately we needed saving. And then he goes, and I'm going to save you. You cannot save yourself. So that mystery of God that he made known um, of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things, in heaven and on earth under Christ. Do you understand, church, that this idea of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we've got this new versus the old, and this old covenant and this new covenant, and do they match up, and is God just doing something different? And we talk all the time in church about Christ being the fulfillment of the law, and we discussed this in a whole other episode, um, and I don't remember which one it was now. I think it was four or five. But this idea of... It all comes together. One does not stand in opposition to the other. It's a fulfillment. It's a bringing to unity that it says here in verse 10, to bring to unity, bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen. here it comes again, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In him we were also chosen. There's a language thing here, a translation thing here, and again, if you're in the NIV, which is what we're in, there's another footnote. In him we were also chosen, or possibly we were made heirs. In him we were made heirs. This idea of giving us all the rights and privileges afforded with being part of the kingdom, having been Predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Do you understand that he's working out things to conform to his will if you're in submission to him? You go back to Romans, that verse that we quote to people when they've had a tragedy in their lives. Oh, all things work together for good to those that love God. Everything's better now. Except that that's not the whole verse. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is conforming things to his will. Those who are under his purpose, who've submitted to him, who've come into the kingdom, who have chosen to become part of his will, you have the freedom to refuse the will of God. It's not going to end well for you. Um, the will of God is that you'd come to know him. But if you choose not to, it's fine. You just don't get to be with him. That's that's the result. Uh, here we go. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 12. In order that we, who were first, the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. This is neat because um, I can appreciate it, but I can't necessarily put myself in it. Paul goes that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. How cool was it to be those guys? The early Christians, the first guys, the first century church, the first ones to step out and go, we're following this Jesus dude. Like it's still exciting to be a Christ follower 2,000 years, and I got to think billions of Christians later. I got to think. Um, but how cool to be one of the first. How cool to be one of the guys writing this stuff down, yeah, making Bible happen verse 13. And you were you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the holy the promised holy spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know, Orion and I were prepping this a little bit and we we're talking about this predestination debate. And Orion said this one phrase uh, that I think is just perfect to this because it says in verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel, the good news. If God's just hunting and picking who he wants, what's so good about the news? It's good news. The good news is, is that Christ came for everybody. He came for you. Your neighbor, your kids, your aunts, your uncles, your mothers, your fathers, your brothers. uh, Even the people you don't like. He came for those people too. That's good news. Because there are people who don't like me. Who probably would prefer I not be there. But God doesn't care what they think. He likes me. What an amazing truth. We all like to think uh, we're... Uh, nah, I was going to say, we all think like to think we're worth getting in. I think sometimes we do, and then other times we don't. I think mm-hmm. we go back and forth. Through. So I'm not going to put that on you. Never mind, forget I said it. All right. Uh, when you believed, in the middle of verse 13, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, that five cents you put up front, right? That deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God goes, I'm gonna seal you. I'm gonna mark you for redemption by giving you my spirit to dwell in you and with you and to guide you. Verse 16, uh, verse 15, I'm sorry. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. What a cool thing to have somebody say about you. Ever since I found out you gave your life to Jesus, I've just been so thankful for you. I've been praying for you nonstop. I give thanks for you. That's so cool. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You know, That's uh, we shared in episode 16. Orion and I shared our hearts a little bit, and this is it right here. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know Him better, that you would dig into Him and understand Him better, and we're doing that through studying the Word. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I'm going to pause there. That's mid-sentence, but... I want you to see this because I don't know if you know it or not. Like, the hardest thing to do is to make dead people alive again. I have not figured it out. It's hard. You probably haven't tried. Really. Yeah, I wouldn't. If you're I, honest about I it. I probably wouldn't try because I don't know that I See, could. you gave up already. Yeah, that's true. Okay. All right. That uh, I don't feel better now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but...
0: You but, didn't even try.
1: But he goes, you know, I want you to understand God better. So, and, and your eyes and your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And Orion shared it earlier of whatever, how ex- ever excited you are about the truth of knowing Jesus and about what he's done in your life and that he's chosen you. You're not excited enough. I don't know that this side of heaven, we could be excited enough. We should try.
0: Yeah, I think we don't let ourselves. I, I think that's that's my honest... To me, you know, that's my take. We don't let ourselves get as excited about this stuff as we do about stupid, material, worthless things that seem really cool at the time. Like, we get really excited over presidential elections or football games or... uh, New cars. Yeah. New TV shows. A movie. Oh, movie. A good movie? Oh, yeah. We get really excited. But then... This stuff, we don't let ourselves. And I, I mean, some people do. Some, some, some of you are really good at like letting yourselves get excited about this stuff. And like, I, I just need to let myself. I, I need that. And I need. It. Yeah.
1: I. Yeah. I think sometimes it comes out in my words.
0: Yeah. But I don't but then not it like, comes out in my actions. No, and we're like plain face. We're like, I'm so excited. Yeah. And isn't this great news? I. But, I teach another weekly study, Bible study.
1: I've referenced it before. We're going through Acts right now, and sometimes in the midst of it, I get really worked up because there's some fun stuff in Acts, just some neat stories, and I get all excited, and I find myself apologizing to the people I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. And one guy in that's in the class constantly corrects me, like, "Don't be sorry. There's you shouldn't be apologizing for this." But we don't want to seem weird, right? Right. But you know what's weird? Dying in your sin how weird when when there's a better way cuz you don't have to <laughs> and the don't have to is totally free like, right. it's totally free yeah it's like all the free it costs nothing
0: 100% of zero
1: it costs somebody else I, okay yeah i'm excited again all, <laughs> all right. right here we go so and and so he says Um, that you'd know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, that idea again of being heirs, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And not only raised him from the dead, which I said is really hard to do, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So Paul goes, he raised Christ from the dead, he put him in his right hand, and he gave him all rule, authority, power and dominion. And he goes, every name, Caesar, to heck with Caesar. Jesus is way better than Caesar. And after Caesar, there have been all kinds of crazy people. There have been all sorts of authoritarian guys there've been stalin's and hitlers and there's been it doesn't matter who your favorite president is and it should be abraham lincoln but whoever your favorite president is above all of those guys above all the prime ministers of canada and and uh, above all the kings and queens of england above winston churchill and uh, whoever the great leaders of the world all of them put together he goes every name that's invoked not only in the present age which was uh, 50 to 100 AD, uh, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And this is the end of chapter one, but I want to reference these last two verses as we close. It says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That means in your life, Christ should be the ultimate authority. Does that mean that when you're headed to Walmart on a Saturday afternoon to pick up whatever you're picking up at Walmart, you should be like, Jesus, where do you want me to park? Eh, probably not. But if you feel compelled to, by all means, go right ahead. But in decisions in your life and the way you conduct yourself with other people and around other people, whether Christian or otherwise, he is your authority. How does Christ say to treat others? It's with humility, but to speak the truth of God in boldness, right? All of those things. I I could go on and on about what he's commanded us to do. But it says, head over everything for the church, which is his body. That means us, church. And I don't just mean where you Uh, attend on Sunday and I hope you're attending somewhere on Sunday but if you belong to the body of believers you're part of the church even if you don't go to the same church that I go to or that Orion and I go to because we go to the same church we're all part of the church and Christ is the authority over it and us as the church are his body we are the actions of Christ it says the fullness of him who fills everything in every way If you're empty somewhere, a part of your life is empty, right here, he's the one who fills everything in every way. Paul's laying a foundation here in Ephesians 1 for who is God. And in Christ, who is Christ? And what authority has God given Christ in our lives? And what does it mean to be a part of Christ? It means we're heirs with all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities as members of the kingdom. And we are submitted to him, but we are his body to do his work. And he is the one who fills every need and everything we have in every way. And we're going to get into chapter two in the next episode of episode episode. We're going to get into chapter two uh, in the next episode. You're making up episode. words. Uh, that one's not real. Godness, okay. real episode, not real. But in chapter two, we're going to get into if this is all true. And newsflash, it's all true. What then? What does that mean? How should we live? How should we be conducting ourselves?